This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. Nabil Ayers released a memoir this week. It's called My Life in the Sunshine, named for the famous song Everybody Loves the Sunshine by jazz great Roy Ayers, who happens to be Nabil's father. Everybody loves the sunshine. Nabil Ayers co-founded Seattle's Sonic Boom Records. He co-founded the Control Group label. He played in a few bands, including The Long Winters. I said her skin is cinnamon, her skin is cinnamon. He became the GM of the story label 4AD years ago. But back in January, he became the president of Beggars Group, which is the parent company for 4AD, XL, Matador, and Young, some of the most vital indies in the world. They work with artists and bands, including Radiohead, Jungle, Interpol, Big Thief, The National, and many more. Recently, I had the chance to sit down with Nabil and talk to him about his memoir, in which he explores issues of race and about being the son of Roy Ayers, a famous musician and a man he'd only met a handful of times in his life. How was the process of, of, of translating, you know, such... You know, the most personal yeah. parts of you, you know, for the world like that. It was really cool. I mean, it didn't, I didn't set out to write a book. And I think that's why it worked. Mm. I took a memoir writing class in New York where I live now. And each of those classes began, it was like an every Monday night thing. And those classes began with just like, I think it's called a free write, where the, mm-hmm. the teacher would say, write about this topic or write about, you know, something that scares you or something that may, makes you happy. Some kind of prompt. And we just have to write for half an hour straight without stopping. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool exercise because I got tons of, you know, I would just write about whatever was on my brain. That's when I started telling other stories about things I remembered, about bands I played in, um, about Sonic Boom. The record store I started and and I think I think maybe even a little bit about my father, definitely stuff about my childhood then, but not as much. And my wife at the time was like, yeah, yeah, this stuff is all really fun. You need to write about your dad and your race because that's what you care about and that's what other people are going to care about. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started doing that. And that's what turned into this book. But still at the time, I wasn't trying to write a book. I was just really into writing Mm -hmm. and calling up these memories. And so I just started writing about each of the times I'd remember meeting my dad, who I'd never really known and only met a few times in my life, and then wrote about other times when I would hear hear his song someplace on the radio or in a bar or in a club and kind of had these little little stories that spanned 40-something years. And I think at a certain point, thinking, oh, this could be a book yeah. if I filled in the blanks and, mm-hmm. and connected the dots. And so that's what I did for the next couple of years. And somehow it worked. <laughs> and wow. here we are talking yeah. about it. Yeah. I can't imagine how you know complex uh, the feelings are engendered by kind of processing all of this and writing about it. I know one thing I, I found in my life to be true. I know my dad somewhat, but he's, <laughs> he's a very private guy. Yeah, And I feel like the older I've gotten, I understand him better because I understand myself. And I kind of am like, whoa, I see where this is coming from. And it kind of makes me time travel a little bit hmm. and understand certain situations in a way. Is that something that, that resonates with you? It does. Yeah, I think. I mean, I only met him, my father, a few times as a kid. There was one meeting in Seattle when I lived here in 2006 or seven, maybe, when he was in town. And we actually, I got a hold of him and we had a really great lunch for a couple hours and talked. And he told me, you know things I wanted to know about family and medical history. And it was really great and really interesting. And um, and what was crazy at that more than anything was sitting across the table from him 
how much we had in common, just even physically, the way he laughed or the way he did something with his face. It just freaked me out to be in my mid-30s, to have not been even close to raised by this person, to have nothing to do with him, but to see these similarities. Just in the little bit I read, your mom and your uncle would run into him with you, and it would always be really cool. And, right. And, and, you know, you were just kind of like, oh, wow, okay, this is this guy. I know who he is. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> but there was a moment where you went to uh, Electric Lady. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he just kind of greets you like everybody else and that kind of like sat different with you yeah that's such a, a lifelong personal journey but like how how is that all that sit with you at this moment where are you right. at what do you what you know yeah I and mean, there's as a kid in new york i mean when when he my father lived in new york and, and my mother and i lived there or even when we were visiting or definitely run into him from time to time just like on the street or at a club or a music store like new york's a really small town like sure. that so it wasn't weird, and it was always like, oh, hey, what's up? And it was always, we'd talk for a second, and no one acted weird. My mother and uncle were never like, it's your father. It was right. never like that. I think it was the opposite. I think they always wanted it to be, like, really cool, and this is not a big deal. You know the situation. You should be exposed to him for a minute because he's here. But it was, I think they handled it well in that way, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> I never know. It sounded like it to me. Yeah. Nabil's mother, Louise Brofman, was 20 years old when she met Nabil's father. She met him at a jazz concert with my uncle in New York in the early 70s. The second she met him, she thought, this is the person I'm going to have a kid with. Not, this is the person I'm going to marry or yeah. spend the rest of my life with. Big difference. This is the person I'm going to have a child with. She asked him and said, I want to have a child with you. You don't have to be part of our lives. And he said, okay. And that is exactly what happened. And I've always known this. So, I mean, of course there are issues and there's lots of stuff in it about, about it in this book, but they, they didn't get divorced. He never left us. Th those aren't the issues. And yeah. in, in a sort of weird way, it was very clean and very cut and dry. And I always knew the story and never really felt rejected, at least until decades in <laughs> later in the book when I finally sort of start to after that lunch, it got difficult because then he became more difficult to get a hold of. And that was the first time I'd ever tried finally. Mm -hmm. So I'd never really had anger until then. But yeah, I mean, I, I had, my mother had no money. We were on welfare and my childhood was incredible. It was better than so many kids. I, you know, people I know now and people I knew then. I mean, we, I think a lot of it was that my mother was really good about just surrounding us with great people and yeah. sort of putting us in good, safe places where I never felt like a weird outcast as a biracial kid with a single mother. I, I wasn't, everyone was like that where we yeah. were. And you've kind of talked a little bit about this so far, um, but Moving through the different spaces you've been in, cities, you know, contexts, and uh, times of your life, as a musician, playing rock, guitar-based music, whatever. Yeah. How did thinking and dy dynamics around race come into that for you? Yeah. I think it's a weird one. So my dad's black, my mom's white. I'm, I think, obviously not white. People constantly ask me what I am or where, where I'm from. from. <laughs> yeah, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, it's, you know, it's always existed in my life. And obviously my name confuses people even more. People think I might be Middle Eastern. Who knows? But, um, but I think that was a huge part of writing the book was actually figuring out that it was I, – I would have said to you three years ago, I've been really lucky. It hasn't been a huge part of my life and haven't had any horrible, really scary racist things happen, which again, could just be luck. 
and it's been really good. And I probably just would have left it at that. And now, after writing this book, which you know I wanted it to be part of it, but I also didn't necessarily have a choice because once I started writing about it, about my life, race was just inherently part of it. And I realized how much of it is just kind of survival as you're going mm-hmm. through. And I think there were tons of things happening during every phase of my life. And I remember them and I wrote about them and I wrote about a lot more than actually in the book. But as they were happening, it was just like, oh, he didn't mean anything by that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fine. Just ignore it. Ah, oh, just don't say anything. Don't cause a fuss. But when I was writing about it, that's when I realized, oh, when you look back years later with a much wider lens, mm-hmm. there's tons going on. I mean, there's there's a chapter about Sonic Boom, which, you know, a record store that I co-owned with my good friend. And I remember when I started writing that chapter, I was like, huh, I wonder if there's any race stuff at Sonic Boom, any like weird moments. I was like, I don't really think they were. And there was a sentence in that chapter that said something like, you know, not many racial, there were very few racial incidents at Sonic Boom. And that line is definitely not in the chapter anymore mm. because I started thinking about it. Or I, when I wasn't thinking about it, two weeks later, I'd be like, oh, yeah, there's that one time when, you know, the, the mayor who was up for re-election, who was white, came in. And the photographer was like, let's get a picture with the mayor and you and kind of shove Jason aside and like, you know, wanted it. <laughs> got like, it. Okay, yeah. And we were all like, yeah, right. got it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know. Something like that, not the kind of thing you're fearing for your life, but yeah. still, race existed in that scenario, and race exists in a lot of scenarios, and And writing this book made me really, really notice how kind of ever-present it has been and continues to be. Processing the ways in which race impacted his life naturally brings it back to his heritage and to the large shadow of his father, whose absence in his life naturally left him with some questions. Ones, he's gradually answering himself through growth, discovery, and thinking back on a life already well-lived. A lot of writing the book actually helped really crystallize the fact. I mean, I've always known that I've had a great life, incredible you know, mom and father figure in my uncle and lots of other people who helped. And that there's this turning point where I was like, why does my father have to be the one thing in my head that's like, this is a weird thing that's not great about my life or that's not perfect. How can I fix this? Why yeah. can't we go to lunch? All these things that were kind of out of my control, but a lot of it was really like, what do I really want, though? What's If we go to lunch, there's not a burning question or a, right. a thing that I need. And I got to the point where I was just like, he's just a great part of my life in a totally different way. But he obviously made me. I know I got things from him. I think there's a ton of positivity there. And now I've met all these different family members, people who are really mm-hmm. close. So... Overall, I mean, I think the book is incredibly positive about him, and it's called My Life in the Sunshine, not just because that's the first lyric from his most famous song, but largely because it's a super optimistic title, and that's, he's a big part of my great life. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Did you have any kind of trepidation, anything about writing this and thinking about his reaction to any of this? Yeah, I still do. I mean, I assume he'll see it, and I, I hope he likes it, and there's certainly there's down points where I'm upset with him, but overall, the theme is great life, largely due to him. So, yeah. so I hope he sees that in it, if he reads it. But of course, I'm nervous about that. That was part of my conversation with Nabil Ayers about his new memoir, My Life in the Sunshine. This is Sound and Vision. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. My life, my life, my life, my life. 
everybody loves the sunshine Sunshine Everybody loves the sunshine That was Sound and Vision. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this podcast at kexp.org backslash sound. Thanks for listening.